I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep. So I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Oh, I'm just sitting here waiting for Marshall. It's been about 15 minutes now since I've been waiting for Marshall. Uh, let me text him, see if he's ready yet. Are you ready? You know what? I'm just going to call him, see what happens. There you are. Hi there, Stan. Wow, we're both here. We both here. I've been here for a while now, just waiting for Marshall. Did you sing? No. No, I was just talking about how I'm waiting for Marshall. Well, it's about time you gave me a little taste of my own medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Here we are at the Draftsman Podcast, and I know I've been making Stan wait a little bit, but we finally got our <laughs> act together. I finally got my act together, and he called me. Yeah. What are we going to talk about today, Stan? Okay, Marshall, you're supposed to teach me about what to do when schools don't serve you well. What prompted this topic? I believe it was me that got an email from someone, or was it you? No, you you got an email from someone, but it was yeah. addressed to both of us. Ah. In fact, my name came first. So, you got an email from someone. <laughs> and you got included in the greeting. Right. Now, this, this, <laughs> this writer asked to exclude email address, but did not say that we couldn't mention the name. Let's just not mention the name. Maybe that's what she, he or, or she meant by it. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Marshall and Stan. My name is... Um, Samantha. Now you know it's anything but Samantha. Process of elimination. Now they're going to know. <laughs> I'm a sophomore in high school. And in my school, both art teachers that are available to me aren't good at their job, to say the least. They don't dedicate the time to explain things to students like even the very basics of color theory, elements of art, and principles of art. They mainly give us worksheets and packets about those topics, then sit at their desk. The classroom environment isn't great. Most people are there only to get their art credit to graduate. I feel like I'm wasting my time and not learning. Dot 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 dot. I'm going to leave out a full paragraph, a long paragraph, because it gets a little too specific about mentioning qualities of these teachers that may be figure outable. And now there's another paragraph, and I'm going to just jump from the last thing, which is, I feel like I'm wasting my time and not learning. I have had it! Exclamation point, And this is all capital letters. Now, a sophomore in high school who feels this strongly to write this long a letter and third paragraph, I'm leaving parts out. Now, 
since we transitioned to online classes, it highlighted the lack of instruction from the teacher, which increased. He didn't give useful help to students, and it bothers me because I've seen a few people that have potential and can do a lot better on their projects if he taught them how. So I guess my question is, how would you deal with bad teachers or what would you do in my situation? How could I get the most out of my school art class, both online and in the classroom, and not waste my time? Hopefully, I'm able to get back to class, but I highly doubt schools will open this fall, given that we are heavily hit by the virus in the east coast of the U.S. Oh, we've isolated this down to the east coast of the U.S., but... Well, she said it. <laughs> Boy, you're clever. Gosh, you know how to really deflect suspicion. She's okay with it. Yeah. All right. Should I start with my opinion and then you just take on the rest of the episode? Let's start with your opinion, yeah. Yeah. Because I've been reading. Subtract the quarantine COVID-19 thing, I would say, you know, use your school for its other benefits. We, got, we had a whole series on recreating art school and we talked about how one of the great things about school is the resources and the equipment and the community that it provides you. And so, if you were still in the classroom, you could try to develop your community, make friends with like-minded people and use their equipment to access things and whatever, all that stuff. We talked about it already. And then, at home, do all this other stuff. Uh, on your own because you do have access to it. But now that they don't even have any of that from that school, I don't know what that leaves me with. I, I feel like my only advice here is just like leave. I don't. Wh why are you doing? Do you have anything you're clinging on to? Like what is this school providing you? If it's not resources, equipment, community, all this stuff. What are you still there for? If there is a reason, great, stay. I'm not telling you to leave. I'm just ask, telling you, ask this question. Okay. I know I would probably not stay there. I don't have much patience for this kind of thing. I know you don't. <laughs> the fact that you have written this email shows that you have run out of patience. The I have had it in all capital letters with the explanation point. I made me recognize, I, I'm taking you seriously. Now, the answer that I give you might appear that I'm not taking you seriously, but I am. Uh, I, but I, I want to preface it with this. Sometimes we are forced into relationships that are not of our choice. It should happen less you're in high school, Stan. He, she. Oh, is it? Wait. They are in <laughs> high school and they don't have a choice because when you are previous to 18 in a lot of communities, you just don't have the power to tell the grownups, I'm not going to do it because they can pull the plug on your support. And so you, you have to go with what they make you do. I'm going to address that in the second couple responses to your question. But I want to say this. I know of students who put up with the same thing and have the same thing in schools that they could leave. They, they are not forced to be there and yet they choose to be there because they are chasing something. As you said with these students 
high school students. The classroom environment isn't great. Most people are there only to get their art credit to graduate. Yeah. Oh, crap. High school sophomore? Yeah. <laughs> well, you so can't Stan, leave. Sorry. I thought, can't I leave. thought this person was in college. Okay. <laughs> now, I'm telling you that so that you've got my sympathy. My advice sucked, Marshall. Let's just delete that. Actually, your advice is useful because there are students who are in college right now. I know a number of them that are so unhappy with their college, and yet they will not leave it. They will continue yeah. to pay all that money. Uh, now, uh, your question is, how would you deal with bad teachers or what would you do in my situation? I'm going to answer it in two parts. I'm going to give you two responses and then we'll Take a little break from that, see if Stan has anything to offer, and then do two more responses. And I am telling you this as a man who is old, and yet I still dream that I am in high school and that I am not prepared. I haven't done any of my homework. I'm going to go into Mr. Lowry's class or Ms. Sherman's class, and I and I'm, I'm, haven't done the homework. What are they going to do? <laughs> The experience you're going through could last until you're old. Uh, I have that dream. I had that dream recently. I had that dream. I'm. It's it's the first day of the year. <laughs> I have my schedule, but I don't know where the classroom is. I'm lost. Where yeah. the hell is this class? And I'm late. I'm the only one that's late. Yeah. And I arrive, and for some reason, I'm not wearing pants. Yeah, yeah, that's another thing is that I, my, I don't have my clothes on. This is a very common dream. Yeah, I'm in my pajamas still. Yeah. <laughs> How would you deal with bad teachers or what would you do in my situation? One, draw pictures of them. Caricature them. Don't hold back. They are putty for you to play with. <laughs> have a ball. Okay. Students have been doing this for a long time. Uh, satirists who are in countries where they can get in trouble for it, they figure, well, you know, I can hide these drawings. But the thing is, I have power over this idiot grown-up that I cannot, I don't have social power, but I do have the ability, since I am an artist in training, to look at them, observe how they act, observe how they treat me, and play around with them. It can be tremendous fun. And I remember when I was in high school, junior high and high school, we had one of my best friends. He later became my best friend. He was one of the best mimics. He could impersonate these teachers and he could get them to where he had their voice, their body language, and he could even exaggerate them. And it got him great social points because everybody knew what was funny about it. And uh, it also trained you to maybe do something that if you're going to train to be a caricaturist, you started out doing it, making fun of teachers who didn't do their job. Now, related to that, point number two, make up stories about them. This is more than caricaturing. Now we're not just doing their look, we're doing their, their actions and social interactions. Basing your stories on a real person doesn't guarantee they'll be good, but if you feel strongly about your characters, you tend to get ideas for how you will put them through trials. 
Maybe in your stories, they will learn from a dose of the misery they've given you and that you can give them. Maybe in your stories, they will become better teachers. If not, you can withhold rewards or punish them as you desire. You're so naughty, Marshall. Well, you know, the people <laughs> might think that because this is naughty that I'm being facetious and I'm not. When you look at how many people are great satirists, there is a survival mechanism that goes on in a lot of comedy. McKee calls it the angry art, but you hear it all the way through that, that most people who are able to get humor out of a situation are people who got humor out of a situation because it was a coping mechanism. It was a way to alleviate suffering. So, I do, I do mean it in all sincerity. That's the first point. If you've got anything to say about it, Stan, feel free. Well, you're basically telling them to use their life experiences as inspiration for their art. That's right. That's kind of true for any situation that you go through, right? Yeah. Except sometimes the pain is too much and you can't do anything but just survive. Yeah. But when the pain is a bad high school teacher, that is, that is probably survivable. There are, are exceptions to that. But also, hey, another thing, this is not unusual. Yeah. You know, I had some teachers that weren't that good in high school. I had a couple teachers that were great in junior high and high school. But the ones that were not that good in high school, they didn't bother me that much. And the reason why is because I didn't care about the subjects anyway. Yeah. So, I, they had a disengaged audience and if they were disengaged teachers, that was all the better because it means I didn't even have to pay much attention to them. But you are not that way. You care about learning. It's unfortunate that this, that this is high school because these students are young and they do look up to the teachers as people to like their, their role models kind of. But you know, sometimes, I guess it, it depends. Sophomore, I guess around sophomore, junior year, you start realizing that grownups are not <laughs> superheroes. <laughs> They're just yeah. flawed humans like everyone else. Um, you, you got, basically, you have to take responsibility for yourself. You can't let the incompetence of everyone around you dictate your success or failure. Make it happen for yourself. These teachers, they might not give you anything, but so what? Yeah. You have to realize that you're so lucky to be living in this time where it doesn't matter that your high school teacher sucks. You have way too many resources to let that keep you from succeeding. But some young people just haven't learned that yet. And that's unfortunate. That's right. And you are learning that. Now, okay. I, I would, as Stan mentioned earlier, I would point you back to those eight episodes we did in the studio earlier this year of, of how to create your own art school. And I'm assuming you've already seen those and that you're, the reason you're writing this is because you've got a specific situation, which is that you're trapped. You're, you're trapped and you're stranded. So, those are the two worst things that can happen <laughs> in an environment uh, and you've got them. Here's the next thing and this is important for you because you're in high school. Wait it out. High school is temporary. 
And that leads to the, the final part of this answer. If you see high school as prison, take note of which of your cellmates you want to hang out with for the rest of your life. Treat them well. And I hope you will, after high school, have many years of freedom ahead to reflect on being in the pen as so back then. This is not a permanent situation. Two and a half more years or so of it, you may be able to survive that. And sometimes being in, incarcerated in a school you don't like, when you get out, it can, it can affect your life positively to say, I never have to do that again. I know of a, a famous film director who said that all of his adult life, he would wake up in the morning and thank God that he wasn't in high school anymore. Uh, I know of a writer who was in an abusive uh, childhood school that said that it affected him for the rest of his life positively because summer vacation was always better than he expected because of the relief from it. So there's an appeal to figure, uh, an end in sight. Robert Sapolsky in one of his wonderful lectures about uh, why zebras don't get ulcers, uh, or no, actually he said this I think in both of these lectures. The one I think I'm referring to specifically though is stress and coping, what baboons can teach us. And this is a guy who I think he spent 15 years in Kenya studying stress levels of baboons because stress levels of rats are, rats are not as complex as human beings. Baboons are closer to our complexity. Their social order is more complex. And so he got more information by taking blood samples from these baboons. And I'll let you listen to the lecture. But one of the practical things, he does give a list of practical things for coping with stress. And one of them is an end in sight. They found out through research that if you don't know when this is going to end, it is harder on your body than if you know that it is going to end after these two and a half years. That's the best I can give you because I cannot come to your place on the East Coast and go in there and say, why don't you treat these students better? Why don't you teach them better? How come you don't show them Proco videos? I can't do that. So all I can do is give you this answer and hope that it makes a difference. And I do wish you all the best. Did you know I actually had a bad art teacher in middle school? Tell us about this. Could have changed me, right? It could have made me not want to do art. Yeah. But it, I don't know, it didn't. I guess I didn't care that much that this guy sucks. <laughs> he he didn't care about art and he 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 touched people a lot. <laughs> a oh lot of, dear. Yeah, a lot of girls were complaining that he was touching them. Oh. Yeah, he was just a weird dude. Nobody wanted to be around him and he made art not fun. He hated me, <laughs> uh, you know, because I loved art and I was, I, like, I was having fun in the class and he would, he started like picking on me. Yeah. Like, uh, like in order to bring me down or something. Uh, and I don't know, I guess I just didn't care. I just wanted to get through the class and move on. This is reminding <laughs> me of how rough being a teenager was. If I could go, everybody who's older wishes that they could go back and be younger. 
There's just nothing more valuable than to reclaim what you had with the, the wealth of youth. But if I could go back and be younger, I don't think I want to go back and be 12. I'd want to be 19, 20, 21, 22 so that I would at least be past that challenge of adolescence. It can be, yeah. it, it's rougher than the grownups I think remember. I don't remember it being fun. Mm -hmm. even, th even though I had, my high school teachers were pretty damn good, especially mm -hmm. the ones teaching the subjects I was interested in. But high school still sucked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gosh, I just wish it wasn't that way. It, it, it is rough. It's just, I think what makes it rough mostly is just the fact that you're, you're transitioning between two very different types of people and different types of responsibilities. You're going yeah. from child to adult. But the difference between the two is so big. It's not fun to not be a kid anymore. Right. You know, don't you want to be a kid again? <laughs> In some ways, yeah. I, yeah. But, but not to go through that. No, not no. High school. I'm not saying high school is when you're a kid. High school is when you're not becoming not when a kid not anymore, a kid, yeah. and that the the you're losing that. Yes. Uh, but I'm saying like elementary school. That was great. <laughs> uh, yeah, although not for every. Again, it's the same kind of thing happens. I guess so. That's true. That's true. Not for everyone. The thing about uh, about being a teenager though is differentiation that is when you're when you're 7 to 11 years old often you are very happy to be part of your family and to be associated with your parents and your siblings often enough uh, but as soon as the body starts changing and the awareness that I've got to go out in the world on my own that's where not my mom not my dad not my parents and not my family but me becomes important and that's where so much of the difficulty of it happen, can happen, but it is also where people who excel at writing, at music, at an art form, at, at drawing and painting and dance and whatever else, at sports, that's where they can find their differentiation. That's where they can say, I could really do this and be the me that is different from what my family does. Well, you have our goodwill. We have any voicemails? Let me find one. We're responding to our audience. Hello, Draftsman. Uh, Stan and Marshall. First of all, I want to thank you so much for your show. Uh, I really appreciate it. I look forward to it every week. Um, I am a lifelong artist, and I've recently reached a point where I would like to begin teaching. I feel like that would kind of be the next uh, natural step for me. But I'm facing a bit of a challenge in that I am completely self-taught, and I don't even know where to begin uh, teaching others. I'm not sure where to start. I've even considered uh, taking an art class just to study the instructor, but I don't know if that would be a worthy use of my time. So I would be really curious to know what your thoughts are on that. If you have any advice, um, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, you can... Stop listening to this message now if you want to. I'll tell you a bit about myself really quick before I go. Should we turn uh, it on? My name's Robert Jack. Uh, I lean toward paleo art and illustration that is reconstructing uh, extinct life forms. My heroes are William Stout, uh, James Gurney, uh, to name a couple. And if you were so inclined, you could see my stuff 
at apartment22art.com or on Instagram. That's A-P-T-2-2-A-R-T. Um, but I'll, I'll stop there. And once again, I thank you so much for your show. Really appreciate it, guys. Awesome. Should I start? Sure. It's, I'm glad this is related to teaching. Woo. If you're completely self-taught and you're thinking maybe I should take a class, there's no reason to take a class unless it's going to scratch an itch. You could take a lousy class that could be a bad experience. But I could see why, if you're completely self-taught, that you might want a new experience. What's it like to be in a class and have a teacher give me assignments? That could be useful just to test the waters. But you decide that. If you're going to be a paleo artist, if you are a paleo artist, you've got a wonderful world to dig around in. And you named two names, but you could name a number of other names. I have a student, had a student, who was into paleo art and did a presentation to our class about the history of these paleo artists and how little they knew about dinosaurs and how more and more information came in and how even the fantasy stuff about dinosaurs started to change. It was fascinating. Fascinating enough to where I got to sit through it three times because he came back and showed it to my classes. And it made me feel like I wouldn't mind being a paleo artist. But you've got so many resources available to you that unless you're going to find a teacher who's really going to give you something that is useful for what you're doing, that's the first thing is that you're asking, should I take a class? Maybe, maybe not. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want to hear what you're going to say. I have several things. Go ahead. You said that you feel like the next natural step for you is to teach. I think if you feel that that's the next natural step for you, then you must feel like you have something to teach. And if you feel like you aren't qualified, maybe you're not sure if what you're going to teach is the same as what other people teach. And I say, who cares? Your ideas might be different, but they, they might still be relevant. If it works for you and you're a good teacher and you care about your students and you, uh, you research the things that you teach before you teach them, I think you'll be fine. I feel like there's some insecurity on your part simply because you you need reassurance from others that what you have to teach is fine. But again, if you're a good artist and you understand why things work for you, then I think you can teach others to learn the same lessons that you supposedly taught yourself. Um, that brings me to my new point. I feel like you, based on my <laughs> the way I said that last sentence, you might know where this is going. When people say I'm self-taught, I always want to know what they mean by that because I really don't understand how you could possibly be fully self-taught. He even added the word fully in there, fully self-taught. Does that mean you've been completely avoiding 
what every art teacher has to say. You haven't read a book on art, on how to draw. You haven't watched any, any YouTube videos. You haven't, you really have avoided instruction from other people if you're completely self-taught. Or do you really just mean you've never taken a formal class in a university? <laughs> you know, what do you really mean by that? Because those are very different things. Um, I'm assuming that he just means that he hasn't taken any formal training at a university or a trade school. Yeah. Because it would be very difficult to avoid art books and, and YouTube videos at this point. <laughs> uh, but I would, I would argue that you're not completely self-taught if you study from, you know, you, if you absorb other people's instruction. So, in that sense, you probably know how other people teach. And you, you could probably be just as good of a teacher as anyone that has been taught formally. Maybe even better because if you're learning from books and YouTube videos that are known to be good, you're probably getting only good instruction whereas at a university, uh, the quality is all over the place and you might just be getting bad instruction. I take it to mean that he has taken charge of and, and designed his own education. And that not self-taught by I mean, even the fact that he's just mentioned James Gurney, who teaches and teaches and teaches like crazy. <laughs> exactly. And you know, Bill Stout also is even though he's not known as a teacher. I've been in rooms where Bill Stout taught, even to some of my students, and I couldn't believe how well organized he was in his thoughts and how he would take a train of thought and turn it one way or another for the enlightenment of the students. So, he's got two people right away who are artists of his ilk, who are also good examples as teachers. Yeah, I have a request for people. <laughs> Please stop using that word if that's not what you really mean. We, we really need a new word. It's so misused. Yeah. I don't know why I hate it so much, Marshall. Maybe it's because I'm a teacher and I feel disrespected when people who are my digital students say they're self-taught. Yeah. I feel like it's used as a sense of pride, like I did it myself. I learned all these lessons on my own, no one did it for me. When all you really mean is that there was no structure provided for you but that doesn't mean no one taught you. Um, so, if you are saying you're self-taught but what you really mean is I didn't go to college, use a different word please. <laughs> it's really disrespectful I think. I remember somebody saying that if you, if you really claim you're self-taught, it means your teacher was an idiot. That could be the case. <laughs> I don't have that bias against the term I, because I understand what I think is behind it, which is that I haven't been contaminated by the official uh, collection of the Sanhedrin that says, here's the way you're supposed to do it. And there is a sense of pride to it, especially if you're good. If you're good, you say, look, I did this without having to do all the stuff that they put you through and that you pay all that money for. So, I'm not that biased against it. But uh, regarding teaching and that the next step seems to be a teacher, you didn't say how old you are. That makes a difference. Not maybe the most important difference, but I'll just appeal to you as if you could be 20 or you could be 50. That this is an exciting new venture. Uh, you aren't mentioning whether you have an audience as a teacher yet. 
because it could be that you could open up a YouTube channel. If you say you're, you're self-taught, it means you probably will not be able to get into a university or one of those places that closes the doors to you. Uh, but even if you were going to teach a younger sibling or an older sibling, a group of friends in your living room, this is an exciting thing. And here's the first thing I'd look at. You already know two paleo artists that you admire. There are going to be a half dozen other important names. If you can study them, read everything that they have written, look at their websites, pull out the stuff from what they offer, organize it, put together your slideshows of them, and say, let me sit you down for a half hour and an hour and tell you about this artist and get them excited about it, that counts for as almost as much as anything else. And you're starting to develop a community around shared interests, these artists and what they do and how they all fit under an umbrella of what people call paleo art. But some of them are more this way, some of them are more the other way, some of them are more for the sciences, some of them are more for the movie industry. That can be really enjoyable. That's how I got started as a teacher. Before I ever taught in a college, I took 35 millimeter slides of my favorite art. John Dickinson and I would turn all the lights off in the room, look at those slides and just gush over their beauty. And we were making our careers happen together. We were bolstering each other, supporting each other, sharing studio space together, sharing jobs. So yeah, it was a great way and nobody was paying us to do that. That was just out of the love of the subject. You can teach a subject, any subject that you've learned, whatever, however you happen to learn it. Uh, you don't have to have a formal college degree to teach something. Um, I don't have a college degree, Marshall doesn't. You can teach whatever you have learned, <laughs> but also take your position seriously. When you go to teach a subject, do more research on it. Don't think that what you know right now is enough to teach it. Constantly try to increase your knowledge on a subject and do research and learn from other teachers on something. When I make my lessons, I always start by researching the topic as much as I can and adding to my knowledge. If you do slideshows for your friends, see whether you bore them or not. You may care about it more than they do and that's part of teaching is to be serving the students and make sure you're not going on and on and on about something you're interested in and they're not. But if it can be great if you don't bore them, not, not because you're making a great presentation, but because they're not going to get bored with this subject. That's when you know you've got fellow travelers, kindred spirits. And you, you can also, a more modern approach to what you just said is just, you know, writing blog posts or something or doing quick tips on Instagram. Try to teach something in bite size instead of making complete courses. Grow towards a course by testing some of your ideas and get people's reactions to them. See if people appreciate the advice. Yeah. People who are interested in the, in the subject will because if you have somebody start from scratch to go to that artist and research everything about them, they're going to have to put a lot of time into it. If you have already done that and you like doing that and then you boil it down to something you can say, here's the best of what I have to offer with them, then you are serving a, you're serving them. You're doing the work of preparing it. Oh, actually one other thing. Um, I think it is really important actually to 
to teach people in person as well. People who go to teach online, I think they do better if they have taught people in person because you are more aligned with students' actual problems and uh, questions they might have for everything you say and you you build a better wall, a kind of a better arsenal of ammunition for every every objection or every whatever every question someone or confusion that someone might have with what you're teaching and you cover all your bases you you can teach a subject you you every time you teach a group of people you're cap- you're able to improve the thing that you teach in order to make it more clear to everyone um because you Every time you get a new question that someone, no one's ever asked you about that thing before. And now you're like, oh, yeah, okay, how do I deal with that? And you just slowly build onto it and your, your, the way you teach it gets stronger and stronger. And you can only do that by actually helping people in person, by seeing how they apply your information on paper right after you tell it to them. If the way you said it really didn't work because none of your students are getting it, well, you got to figure out something else. That, that personal interaction, I think, is just a quicker feedback onto, and it's more real feedback uh, to your teaching. So, maybe take on some young, young people to mentor. And if you don't do it well the first few times, uh, you'll get better at it. But if you don't do yeah. it well and you don't get better at it, remember those students can be drawing cruel caricatures of you and <laughs> telling stories behind your back about how you would not serve them no matter how much they asked for it. Uh, you're funny. Okay, let's, should we do another? Uh, yeah, let's do another one. Let me, let me see here. Hopefully, I've reached the Draftsman podcast. Okay, now my question is to you, Stan. First of all, I would like to say I don't mean to darken the mood. Okay, here goes. Stan, you're young, probably in your 30s. So, my question to you is, who would you pass on Proco to when you leave this world, would it be your son if he decides to get into art or would it be someone else you trust? Yeah, that's about it. You've probably not thought about this before and in case you haven't, maybe you can form some thoughts now that you've listened to my question. I'm just, you know, it's out of curiosity and totally not because I want to take over. What? What was that laugh at the end? I don't know, but this is an awfully personal question to ask on a podcast and it makes me wonder whether that laugh at the end is that this is someone who's pranking you. Yeah. I don't I don't recognize that person. I feel like they this is a joke. <laughs> it might be someone requesting, "Will you will you put in your will your empire to me?" I have no idea who who will who will take over Proko. I, I mean, I feel like... Ah, jeez. I, I, I feel like the way it's going, Proko will not be a personal brand anymore. It won't be aligned with me. And any cap- person who is capable of running a company will be able to take over. And there will be people in charge of uh, making sure the instruction is good, 
other people making sure the website's working. You know, there will be a CEO, a CTO, a CFO, like any company, you can, someone can come in and improve it because they're just better at knowing what people want and how to serve, grow a company that serves the customer well. Um, it can be anyone. It could be my son if he, if he wants to run a business. It wouldn't be my son if he's interested in art. It's only, it would only be my son if he's interested in running a business. Right. Big difference. Because at this point, it's not, it's not about making art at all. Um, so, anyway, let, let's move on. I, I don't know. That's... Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was an unusual question and I, yeah. I can't help but wonder what's behind it. <laughs> but it, it may be that this is someone looking at you and saying, you poor fellow, you have not thought about your future or your progeny. Hello, my name is Stella. Um, I right now am a visual development art student. And I started doing some commission work on the side, um, mostly just like either realistic portraits in pencil or just um, digital portraits. And I guess my problem right now is that like I can turn out like pretty good work, but it just takes me so long to the point that by the time I'm finished, um, I it's not worth it. Because I know like a lot of people are, like an hourly rate with it kind of thing where I just can't do that in yeah, it's not kind of making up for how much time I'm spending on these pieces. So, I guess my question would just be, what are some exercises there? How can I get faster at doing it and still have the same good quality of work, okay? So, thank you very much. Um, yeah, okay, bye. That's a good question. That was a big one with me. Yeah. When I was in my late 20s, early 30s, I was getting some jobs. I was getting a number of jobs, but I had some issues, which is that I obsessed over detail. A number of the jobs that I did would take so many hours that they had to have big budgets or they weren't worth doing. Fortunately, I got hired to do that, but I had opportunities to do more than one children's book. But with the budget with a children's book would be something like $6,000 and it would take six months to do with my style. And I thought, this isn't going to work. So I decided one thing to do was to find a way to learn another medium, which I didn't fully, but I did start teaching watercolor uh, eventually because watercolor is a medium that you could put stuff down faster. Uh, and this is similar to what we talked about in the previous episode on social media, setting your priorities. Do you love working something that takes a long time, so much so that you will make less money per hour, but you're okay because it at least gives you an excuse to stay in the studio? Or do you find a way to work faster? And you asked for exercises. Uh, one exercise would be to do watercolor studies where you are paint studies where you are putting down large amounts of tone and arranging them enough to create that realism. And it may not be portraits, especially if you see that portraits have to have all the correctness in the draftsmanship, but it might be. Look at N.C. Wyeth's characters. Look at his characters in Treasure Island. Gosh, he's got a number of them where his heads and faces are lumps of clay that are not fully sculpted. Look at artists like Rodin who did not micromanage he would get the big areas of it and then adopt those as art parents to say, this is a por uh, person who can do a portrait in an hour or five or even less. The Domier was another one who would work really roughly at first to get those 
those big lumps in the right place. And that is an exercise where you say big things first and then do not indulge detail so that you get used to working on big things first. Those would be specific exercises. Put a time limit on it. I've got to get the whole head and the light and shadow in an hour and a half and see if I can get something like a likeness. And if you fail, don't worry about it. You're going to do 15, 20, 30 of these because this is not to create product. This is an exercise. Yeah, that was going to be essentially my answer is do exercises where you limit your time. If you're, if the only thing that you do is spend a long time on your art, you're going to be spending a long time on your art. Um, you, you, there, there is a little bit of that where if you give yourself 20 hours, you're going to fill 20 hours even if you really didn't need it. And if you give yourself 10 hours, you'll do it in 10 hours and it might be very similar to the one you, you ended up doing in 20 hours simply because you gave yourself 20 hours. Um, but also just it's, it's practice. You get faster naturally because you learn patterns that you, that you do things over and over and over again that you, you know what works and what doesn't. You make less mistakes, you get straight to the point. Um, you don't dilly dabble in, in, in a little area if you could do it in one stroke. Um, you learn methods of speeding things up through practice. Yes. But through practicing do it, doing it quickly, <laughs> not through practicing doing it for a long time. However, both are important. I feel like if you only do quick sketch, you will never really finish anything. All your work is just going to be sketches. You need to do some really long studies in order to even feel what it's like to think about the subtlety. And then you'll be able to reel it back in and apply some of that subtlety in quicker works. You have to do both. And I feel like, uh, well, sorry, what was her name? I don't remember. But um, I, I feel like she hasn't done enough quick sketch and she needs that balance. Try to do a portrait in five minutes. What are the most important things to put in five minutes? Maybe it's that you're just not prioritizing what's important in your piece and, and what's not. And you're focusing too much on those little things that really don't make a big difference. I think that you essentially said the same thing. Yeah, and we've talked about this before. Mm. Uh, a lot of what you're practicing is process. You're practicing a habit. You're getting in the habit of saying big things, more important, first. Uh, the simplest answer is what Stan gave. Get, put a time limit on it. See what you can get done. Give yourself permission to let it not work. You're practicing a process. Time limit is the obvious thing. But choosing those masters that you can look at and say, hey, they did it. What is it they're leaving out? And that doesn't happen in a night. That happens over a period of months of working on this to see how much is left out. Gosh, in the, in the Bridgman class, this came up over and over. Bridgman leaves so much out. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever noticed that? And that is a part of his strength. He has done full paintings where he put stuff in. They looked a lot like N.C. Wyeth in the sense that he would mass his lights and darks. And it looked like he didn't bother with a lot of detail. Once he gets the chunks of the way a head is structured, he had enough to give the whole scene. Winslow Homer was that way too. 
they can be inspiration to give you permission to leave out a lot of detail, which some of us, that is what we love and we indulge it, but we may indulge it to our peril partly by taking too much time to where we can't make money. But also, another hazard is that we might put so much in that the audience doesn't get a chance to do anything. There's no understatement, there's no restraint, and the audience is, is, uh, is not able to participate in inventing. I want to remind people of the story about the pots from the Art and Fear episode. Because I have a sense that part of this, maybe not all of it, but part of it has something to do with inexperience. That just the, the more experience you have, the more ability to have to do things quicker. Um, and the story from the book Art and Fear about pots is that there were two groups of students. One was going to be graded on one pot that they make and they have to f make just one pot and make it perfect. And they have the same amount of time as the second group of people who were graded on making as many pots as possible in that same amount of time. And in the end, the people that made the better pots are the people that were focused on quantity because they practiced more. They were more experienced in making pots because they went through the motions over and over and over again. Stephen Bauman also brought this up when I was talking to him that he is jealous of animators because they, are, they improve so much faster than the people who go through the Florence Academy, for example. That's where Stephen Bauman went. Because at the Florence Academy, they'll spend 70 hours on a single piece, making it perfect. Animators <laughs> draw thousands of drawings. They, they're over and over again, just almost the same drawing, just a little bit different. And that repetition allows them to get fast, better faster. Um, and also just it's, it's much quicker feedback. You know, you, you make way more mistakes when you do a lot of drawings than if you do one. You know, with one drawing you spend 70 hours on, you only really experience the process of, of doing contour, the contour part of it or the proportions one time. You only get to the shading one time in 70 hours. But instead, if you spend an hour on a drawing 70 times, you get to, do, you get to focus on proportions and shading 70 times. And yeah, you weren't as finessed. You weren't as perfect with the proportions and the shading. But you probably learned more about proportions and shading because you did it 70 times. Here, here. Yeah. But every once in a while, do a drawing for 70 hours too. <laughs> Because it has its benefits. You can't, I, I don't want to just bash that because there are benefits to doing one drawing for 70 hours and there are benefits of doing quick sketch, a drawing every minute and there are benefits of doing one hour drawings and three hour drawings and six hour drawings and there's benefits of doing drawings at an inch tall per, for a figure and at doing life size and at doing five feet tall for a portrait. There's benefits of all this stuff. You become much more capable of any problem that's thrown at you and doing a portrait that's giant will help you do the portrait that's one inch tall. Uh, it's just, it's like that from that mastery book. You do things slow, you do things fast and you both help you improve. 
Well, this has been a common theme. Yeah. And in uh, questions and in our answers is that you always have two different ways to train. And you have to get better. <laughs> it's like, I have a problem. Well, get better. What questions should we ask or should we? Describe the best teacher in your life and why was this teacher the best teacher? What did they do for you? Yeah. What do you wish? What teacher was so good that you, you wish you had more of that kind of thing? Yeah, I feel like we spent a lot of time on the the teachers that we have gripes about, but all of us had teachers that opened up our eyes and that made things easier. I was so in love with a couple of my teachers when I was in uh, middle school. The pretty ones? No, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> they were. It was had nothing to do with that. It was just in love with the fact that when I went to that class, Mr. Steenbeck's class, I was in seventh grade. Every time I went into that class, I came out so excited about the world and the wonder of the world and the complexity of the world and the things to learn and the, the hope that when I'm a grown-up, I'm going to do really good things. There was just a quality that he had and I think as much as anything else, it was just love of the subject which has come up over and over. Love of the subject and the privilege of sharing this with other people who may love the subject too. But that's you've already heard me talk about those things over and over. If there's things like that, qualities that you wish you could get more of, those are things I would read and ponder. Thank you, Marshall. Always a pleasure. Well, thank you, Stan. It was enjoyable. I'll miss you. I'll miss you when I'm on paternity leave soon. Oh, that's right. You're going to have, you got a new baby coming in. But you know what? I think, I think people will be excited to hear that when, while I'm on paternity leave, Marshall's going to do some episodes without me. <laughs> we'll see. We're going to see how this goes. I'm going to yeah. give this a try and bring in some other artists and friends to interview and see how it goes. Okay. Well, we'll be thinking of you or not. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I will be thinking of you. I'll be thinking of you often. All right, Marshall. See you next time. See y'all. Bye, guys.